0: My name is Justin, I'm a philosopher at UMass, and our uh, scripture reading for today is Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. All right, here we go. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline." Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. God, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for being our wise leader. We confess that although we know you are our wise leader, we do not always obey you. God, I pray for Garrett this morning as he comes up to preach his very first sermon ever. I pray that you will speak through him with power to remind us of these truths and their bearing on our daily lives. Amen.
1: All right, well, good morning, Mercy House. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know me, my name is uh, Garrett Postuma. I'm one of the elders here at church. Uh, My wife, Michelle, is in the back there. Uh, We have three kids, Eliana, who's six, Levi, who's four, and Isla, who is seven months. Uh, Also, thank you for that introduction, Justin, and prayer. I I appreciate it. Uh, For my day job, um, I'm a civil engineer for MassDOT, and uh, looking around the room, I can see that word must have got out that I would be preaching today. A few, few empty seats. As Justin said, it is my first sermon. Um, it'd be a lie to say I'm not nervous, because I am. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick us off with some prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would just be with us now. I would ask that you would speak through me, um, that I would only speak truth from you, uh, that I've prepared anything that isn't truthful or from you, God, uh, that I would skip over it. Um, I pray for the congregation and hearers of this that they would hear you and that your Holy Spirit would be at work now and that you would use this time for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today, July 4th, Independence Day, and and you all made it out to church. Um, If you're from the United States, you know we celebrate our Declaration of Independence from England today. Uh, I did a, a little research on this, in preparation, and that's mostly because I'm no longer smarter than a 5th grader. And it turns out, we actually declared independence on July 2nd. And after the Continental Congress declared independence from England, well, they needed an official document stating as such. So the Declaration of Independence was drafted and officially adopted on July 4th. Uh, If you are an American, or spend time around most of us, well, then you know that Americans love some America and Independence Day. However, though there is certainly a time and place to resist unjust and ungodly earthly powers, most of the time, God is calling us to submit to authority. In fact, for both earthly parents and disciple-makers, having rebellious children and disciples is the opposite of what we would like to see happen. And this is what we're going to be looking at today. So our passage is uh, Proverbs 1, and uh, we're going to do a little background on this. Uh, We get our author, it's stated in verse 1, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. All right, pretty clear idea who the author is. No pressure for me, just a first sermon from the wisest man who ever lived and his Proverbs. He goes on in verses 2 through 6, to give uh, essentially his purpose in writing, his mission statement as it were, and that is to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Okay, well that's pretty straightforward. I think we're, I think we're getting close here. We can fire up the grills and get ready. Of course, of course I'm joking by that. But I do appreciate just how forthright he is. Um, but I'd like to, to dig into a couple of people that uh, Solomon calls out in his uh, purpose statement, in his introduction here. Uh, The first category of people we have is the simple, as mentioned in verse 4. And now by simple, he's not talking about people who have a low IQ or someone we would consider, say, a buffoon or someone who is, yeah, any, any number of things like that. But rather, the simple person is one who is ignorant of knowledge. It's important to understand also that Though they are simple, they are also able to gain and to attain wisdom. Um, Being a dad, I'm contractually obligated to reference my children in the sermon. And uh, I just bet you didn't think it'd be this early. The simple are kind of like my kids and say, higher mathematics or algebra. My daughter, Eliana, the oldest, is six. She's just learning to read, she is ignorant of higher mathematics. Now that doesn't mean that one day she can't grasp the concept of solving a complex math problem. She just has not yet received instruction on how to do that. Similarly for myself, I changed roles at work. Um, As mentioned, my background is in civil engineering and for 10 years, I've functioned as a field engineer or a project manager. Uh, This past winter, I moved into the main office uh, to begin the role of the district permits engineer. To be honest, on day one, I was very much like the simple. I was ignorant of how to do the job well, and I needed to receive prudent instruction in order to do it well. Another important note is that the simple are typically characterized as youthful. I shouldn't say typically, it says they are youthful. Or children, um, or people that uh, are inexperienced. The second half of verse four says, knowledge and discretion to the youth. In both the examples I cited above, there is an element of youth, for example, my daughter, or an experience myself. You could say I was a a youthful permits engineer. In order for Eliana to be able to perform higher mathematics, she will need to receive knowledge and instruction. In order for me to perform my new job well, I need to gain knowledge and experience. So my summary of that would be, So when Solomon references the simple, these are people who need instruction. The second category mentioned in this section are the wise. They are people who were once simple, but through prudent instruction have gained wisdom. Um, We are located here in Amherst. It is a college town, and uh, the entire area is geared towards passing learning onto people. So the wise could be similar to a student who comes in as a first year and now, some years later, is leaving with a bachelor's, a master's, or even a PhD. Um, In this example, the inexperienced youth has gone through the rigors of their college education, received their training, and are now qualified to do their chosen vocation. I think it's also important to note that the wise don't rest on their laurels now that they have received some sort of training or wisdom. Rather, they continue to gain wisdom and I think that, to reference the above example, when that student enters the workforce, they are qualified, but more often than not, enter at an entry level and need to gain experience in order to continue moving forward in their career path. So the wise continue to seek out wisdom. All right. Author, introduction, purpose, excellent. Let's get into the good stuff, or what, what I feel like is the good stuff. Uh, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, this is where Solomon separates this book from the contemporary wisdom literature of his day. Around the time Proverbs was written, and Solomon ruled from 971 to 931 BC approximately, and this was compiled after. But anyways, around that time, and even up to a millennium before it, other cultures had their own wisdom literature that had some parallels to Proverbs. Uh, Egypt had some similar works. We have the Instruction of Vizier Ptahhotep, uh, circa 2500 to 2190 BC, uh, and the Instructions for Merikare, uh, circa 2106 to 2010 BC. Probably mispronounced those, but anyway, this is where we see, as Robert Crumrai, uh, the lead pastor, likes to put it, the the horizontal, and by horizontal I mean wisdom that spans across generations and cultures. Essentially, good advice that it could apply to most people at most times. For example, in the instruction of Vizier Ptah Hotep, uh, we see this example. Um, quote, Do not gossip in your neighborhood because people respect the silent. All right, fair enough. There is some wisdom there in not spreading rumors or gossip. Similarly, Proverbs 10, 19 states, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So, similar themes between the two passages. Again, this represents horizontal nature of some of this wisdom literature. can span across cultures, peoples, and times. Verse 7, though, in our passage, is where we get the separation from the horizontal, or as Robert likes to say it, we go vertical. Solomon makes the distinction that The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is not found in contemporary works, and this is what makes the passage unique to Christianity, which is what I mean by we're going vertical here. Okay, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, well, what does that mean? Well, by fear, we're not meant to be cowering, afraid to show our faces to God or, you know, my children do something wrong, and they hear me bellow for them, and they go running away, fearful of consequences for their misbehavior? No. Rather, I think the Apostle Peter puts it well in First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, where he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Humble yourselves. I believe this is the key here. To humble ourselves is to submit completely to God's authority. And not only that, but God cares for each one of us. We are to lift up all our cares and anxieties, for example, like I was doing this morning before preaching, uh, before Him because He cares for us. He wants to hear from us. God is also mighty, though, He is worthy of that humble respect. Uh, the I lost my spot here. Ah, yes. The second half of verse six references God's power as a mighty hand, which specifically harkens back to language used in Exodus. For example, Exodus chapter three, verse nineteen. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Or Exodus thirty-two, eleven. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, "O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people?" whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Another passage to help explain the fear of the Lord can be found in Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, which states, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. If God kept a record of all of our sin, Not one of us would be able to stand before him. And yet, there is forgiveness, which is why he should be feared, or, as the commentary I was using puts it, worshipped and served in loving reverence. That forgiveness comes through Jesus' work on the cross for you and for me. And this is where true freedom lies, absolute submission to the good King Jesus. Looking all the way back to Genesis, God speaks creation into existence. In Exodus, his mighty hand is displayed as he delivered the Israelites from Egypt, the greatest power of the day. And not only that, God delivers them in a truly miraculous manner. The ten plagues on Egypt, each one aimed at one of their gods, the parting of the Red Sea, and then once the Israelites were out of Egypt, he sustains them in the wilderness with literal manna from heaven. And, not only that, but fast-forwarding further, he has provided the means for our salvation through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So in verse 7 of, the, of our passage today, Solomon is stating that by humbly submitting ourselves to God and by submitting to his authority, that is the foundation for wisdom and for true freedom. It is from this foundation that the rest of the book of Proverbs flows. Okay? Okay. So what what does all that kind of mean? Well, an element of this submission to God is submitting to earthly authority. As we continue our passage, verse eight states, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Solomon is appealing to his audience as a father to his son, exhorting the readers to heed wise instruction from earthly fathers and mothers. God uses our parents, as flawed as they are, as one of his vehicles for instruction. In response to that, practically speaking, all of us should honor our parents. If you don't want to take my word for it, that's fine. The fifth commandment states as much. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. It is interesting that it doesn't say to only honor your father and your mother when they're good parents, when they're good to you, when they give in to you, rather, the command is to honor them regardless of the circumstance, and that means even in times of discipline. It is also the first commandment with a promise. Or yeah, God promises that your days will be long upon the land if you honor your father and your mother, and that can go back to there wise instruction, their prudent leadership, their disciplining of their children well. Around Easter, Pastor Robert was sharing some examples of uh, some new believers who, in response to the gospel, felt called to honor their parents. This, in turn, changed the whole family dynamic. The parents noticed that something was different about the children because they responded to the gospel in faith and were following the commandments, and the whole family dynamic was changed a powerful witness to respond to the gospel. Now to those of us in this room who are parents, we are called to parent slash disciple our children well. Ephesians 6 4 states, fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to disciple our children, we are also to discipline them. If uh, if you are a parent in this room, you know you don't need to teach your children bad habits. You don't need to teach them to call names, to be selfish, to hit, or any number of other bad behaviors. Rather, the challenge as a parent is to lovingly disciple them and to discipline them at the same time. Again, to the parents in this room, our children are only with us for a limited time. Uh, The other day, I was struck by the fact that Eliana is now six years old. I thought to myself, wow, time really flies. And then it hit me, she could potentially be moved out in another 12 years. And it's entirely possible that one-third of the time, Michelle and I have to disciple her, is already gone. And to be honest, that was a sobering thought. Now, there's also practical application for those of you who are not parents. If you are a Christian, you are called to be a disciple-maker. And in some ways, oh, in the same way that parents are called to disciple their earthly children, disciple-makers are called to disciple their, shall we say, spiritual children or the people whom they are discipling is probably a better way to put it. And honestly, this is something that every one of us needs. Everyone from Robert to the recent convert, we all need someone discipling us And we need to be pouring back into others as well Uh, those of us who are either older christians or more mature christians we need to be pouring into the next generation of younger or less mature believers lovingly instructing them in gospel truth and lovingly correcting them when they get it wrong likewise we should be seeking out more mature christians who are able to pour into us And I would say that all of us should be open to correction from fellow mature believers. As shocking as it might seem, every one of us has fallen, we all need Jesus, and none of us get it right 100% of the time. I want to take a quick second here, just in case I confuse anyone. I'm not advocating for a gospel plus message here. I am in no way saying anyone's salvation hinges on their ability to parent or disciple And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, if that were the case, we'd be in trouble. Rather, in response to following Jesus, we should want to tell the good news of the gospel to our neighbors, children, co-workers, and those with whom we have influence. We should want to help disciple the next generation of both our earthly and spiritual children. Continuing, another aspect of submitting fully to God is also submitting to our earthly authorities he has placed over us. We've already talked about parents, but we're also sub- called to submit to authorities at work. See Colossians 3:23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We are called to perform our work as though our boss were Jesus. And this can be simultaneously a powerful witness as well as a difficult thing to do. When I was about 15 or 16 years old, I was working as a dishwasher in a local restaurant, and uh, one of the dishwasher's jobs uh, was to clean out the grease trap. So it was both a disgusting task and one I personally sought to avoid. One of my coworkers who went to church with me, well, he would always end up being the one to clean the grease trap. It wasn't because he liked it, but it was because it was what the owner, our boss, wanted us to do and he was willingly submitting to the authority of our boss. Meanwhile, I was trying to avoid the task. He was working as though Jesus was his boss. And I noticed, our boss noticed, as did our coworkers. And I also know that this uh, individual shared his faith with others that we worked with, and his boldness to share, coupled with submission to authority, was a great witness for them. And honestly, I was already a Christian, and it was a great way to model Christ-like behavior for me as well. We are also called to submit to our earthly rulers. See Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Before I go on, we're going to pause again here. I don't want to confuse or mislead anyone. The verses referenced above reference the general submission to government. And this is how God has intended it, and it is his ideal. However, because we live in a fallen world, governments are not ideal. There are other passages where God approves of Christians disobeying the government. However, this disobedience is only warranted when submission to the governmental authority would represent disobedience to God. We are called to submit to God first and foremost. As part of that call, we should also submit to governmental authorities in most cases. Uh, one quick exception. Uh, we'll go back to Exodus again. Exodus chapter 1, uh, verse 17. Well, I'm going to back up slightly first. Uh, background to this verse. Uh, Pharaoh has ordered all Israelite firstborns to be killed. He tells the Israelite midwives to do this. But then in Exodus 1:17, it states... But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Uh, The whole exchange is fascinating. I recommend you you check it out. But for our purposes today, because the midwives feared God, they humbly submitted to him and did not do as Pharaoh commanded. Uh, The passage goes on and the midwives, God actually rewards the midwives for submitting to him first and foremost. To bring it back, though, to our passage and to our sermon today, the created order, God's ideal, is submission to earthly authority. And part of the reason is because this is not our forever home. We're not gonna live eternally in the United States of America or wherever. Our eternal home is with Christ in heaven. Um, We talked about this a lot in our spring sermon series, uh, how the Christian is part of the forever family of God. And that is where our eternal home is, with Jesus in heaven. One other earthly authority we're called to submit to is church authority. Hebrews 13, 17 states, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Church members are called to obey and submit to the church leadership. This statement isn't a suggestion, it is a command. Similarly, the leaders need to be submitting first and foremost to Christ. The leaders of the church are called to watch over the souls of the membership and to do so with joy. In this way, leadership submitting to God, members submitting to the leaders, the church will therefore thrive and God will ultimately be glorified. Now again, as with all of our examples, we live in a fallen world. Church leaders are also fallen. So first and foremost, we're all to submit to God first. But then, if our leadership is leading well, in submission to God, we should follow them. All right, we've now spent some time unpacking the crux of our passage, uh, but we've got to spend any time on the second half of verse seven. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, if you'll cast your minds back to the start of the sermon, we identified our terms in verses uh, 2 through 6. The simple, who are ignorant, they just don't know any better, and the wise. We have a third category introduced the foolish. The foolish are those who have heard instruction but do not heed it. The simple, well, they have an excuse. Uh, My first example with my daughter Eliana in mathematics, specifically higher math, I mean, she she has a reason. If you give her an algebra test, she will get a zero unless she accidentally stumbles upon the right answer. And you know what? You couldn't fault her for that. She has had no instruction in algebra. However, if you have had instruction, if you are in the algebra class and you get a zero, but you know the answers, well, that's just foolish. You put the wrong answers down even though you knew what the right answer was. Uh, to, to use a different example, you know, my, my old role at work, I was frequently uh, running construction projects. And, uh, you know, in, in this hypothetical example, you know, I'm doing up, I'm doing a pay estimate for the contractor, and they've put down 1,000 tons of hot mix asphalt for a road we're repaving. All right, so I've done all my numbers, I've got all my calculations, it's 1,000 tons. contractor comes to me and says, eh, times are tough for us, it'd be great if that could actually be 1,100, you've been working hard, why don't I take you out to lunch today and then you can think about the numbers and, you know, come back to it. All right, so he takes me to lunch, I come back, I look at my numbers and think, oh, that was a really tasty lunch, you know what, the math adds up to 1,000, we'll just move a number here, there, it's really 1100. So I do it up, and where it says Garrett Postuma has verified the quantities contained herein, I sign my name, contractor gets paid an extra 100 tons, and I have committed fraud. If I am found out, and my coworkers hear why I am fired, well, they would probably laugh and say I was foolish, say I was an idiot. That is the dumbest way to get fired. You are knowingly committing fraud. And, they would be right. I have been in, I've been instructed in my job, I've been given prudent guidance on how to do it, and I am knowingly ignoring it. That is foolish. And, there would be consequences. Again, I would lose my job, and in this example, there could potentially be lifelong consequences. I might not be able to work in my vocation again. I can probably find work again, but it's gonna be difficult. I mean, depending on the level of fraud we're talking about, and there could even be jail time. So. Foolish behavior has potential lifelong consequences. Likewise, if I coddle my children, if I constantly give in to their every whim, if I just let them them run the show at home, while there's a high probability that when they grow up, they'll turn into spoiled, entitled adults, which can lead to a whole host of other negative consequences and behavior for my kids and will impact their quality of life going forward. Similarly, if you're discipling a new Christian who is engaging in destructive or sinful behavior and you know about it, well, then it's on you to help correct that behavior and to point it out to them. Otherwise, they're going to continue to think that that sinful and destructive behavior is okay and at a minimum, their witness will be compromised. Proverbs continues this contrast of wise and foolish throughout the rest of the book uh, the wise are held up and rewarded, and the, the foolish are, are punished and, uh, and condemned. All right, that said, wise instruction and submission to God's authority and earthly authority has consequences as well. The result is glory being placed upon the learner. Look, at, look back at verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The son or daughter listens to the father and mother's wise teaching, and it looks good on them. The consequences of heeding wisdom and wise teaching is that you will look different. By that, I mean your character is noticeable. People will see that you are different, that there is something different about you, A garland on someone's head, it's difficult to hide. Similarly, the point of a pendant around the neck, the point is to be noticed. Um, The Olympics are coming up shortly, and uh, the winners receive a medal. And in the case of the 2004 Athens games, a garland was also placed on their heads for meddling in their events. The athletes, in most cases, have submitted to the authority of their coaches and trainers, and the reward is becoming an Olympic medalist. By us submitting, first and foremost to God, and to the earthly authorities he's placed over us, our character will be different, and we can be a powerful witness by the way that we live. Jesus is the ultimate example of this submission to authority. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus pleaded with God the Father that if there was any other way to accomplish the plan for salvation, if they could do that and in plan instead. Jesus cried tears of blood. Jesus was sweating blood. But in the end, he submitted to the Father and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. We remember that sacrifice at Mercy House every week when we take communion. until he comes Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to save each and every one of us thank you that he modeled what good Christian behavior should be thank you for Jesus' submission uh, to you and to your authority, God I pray that you'd be with each one of us now, this day and just we would remember that sacrifice, God, and that we would all be in submission to you. In Jesus' name, amen.